You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 21. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, If indeed by putting it on we may be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known by known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we care beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself, us to himself, and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who, him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for that reading. Thank you, friends, for your warm welcome as well. It's great to be with you again here at City on a Hill West. Great to be encouraged to know that we're part of a a movement of churches. So good to see you all this evening. We're going to be continuing uh, this theme that we started last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This week we're in chapter 5, and we're, we're continuing this idea of treasure, the gospel being treasure. 
I want to tell you about Forrest Fan. Forrest Fan was a, a former U.S. military pilot turned art dealer, and Fan, shortly before he thought he was going to die from terminal cancer, decided to take some of his own personal treasure and hide it in a cache somewhere in the Rocky Mountains in the U.S. So he put some jewelry, he put some gold nuggets, he put some expensive coins, all up said to be worth about $1 million. And then he wrote and published a, a poem with nine mysterious clues that would lead would-be treasure hunters to find his stash. And if they did, it was theirs to keep. And so this really caught the imagination of hundreds of people, communities online formed and started to debate the whereabouts of this treasure. People committed hours of their life, days, months, trying to find this treasure. Luke at lunchtime told me that our own pastor in Geelong, Andrew Grills, was actually one of these people that tried to find the treasure. Some people went bankrupt on the search for this treasure. One person even went to prison on the search. He dug up some graves thinking the treasure was in there. A little bit rude. Uh, five people lost their lives in search of this elusive treasure. It really caught people. And 10 years later, people thought it would never be found. Maybe it was a hoax. Maybe it was a ruse, the whole thing. Until in 2020, just before Fan died, rumors started to emerge that the treasure had been found. Now, the finder didn't reveal their identity, but Fan himself was pictured with his treasure hoard and confirmed that indeed it had been found. And so eventually the finder revealed their identity as the rumors circulated online. It was 32-year-old medical student from Michigan, Jack Stoof. I'm sure you've never heard of him. He was just an ordinary guy living an ordinary life whose life was transformed by finding this treasure. But not in the way you might think. He's been the subject of several legal cases against him. He's being sued because some of his fellow hunters have alleged that he broke into their online communication and hacked in and, and took some of the clues that they had uncovered and, and they said he's actually stolen the treasure that was rightfully ours. He's become a figure of hit. He says this, I realize I put an end to something that meant so much to so many people. And so he's He's become this lightning rod for opponents online. Last year, he finally sold the treasure. He's been cryptic about how much he got for it, but it's at least enough to pay off his student debt and allow him to drop out of medical college. Just an ordinary guy doing ordinary things whose life was transformed by finding this treasure. And we saw last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you did here at church, that, that we have found treasure, gospel treasure. And treasure that is hidden in jars of clay, that is in ordinary people like you and I. But it's a gospel, a good news story that sits at the core of everything Christians believe in. Fundamentally, it is the good news that God himself, the creator of the universe, became human, took on human form. He lived a life that we can follow and model. He died a death in our place for our sin. He rose to new life to vindicate all he had said about himself and, and to offer to anyone who believes in him that same experience of a, a new resurrection life. That is the, the gospel and it is treasure that can transform ordinary people like you and I. That's our big headline 
from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The gospel is treasure that transforms us. And we're going to see that play out in two ways. It firstly transforms our breaking bodies. And secondly, it transforms our ruptured relationships. So if you're in the habit of taking notes, those are our two headlines for today. If you've got your Bible handy or you're on the app that you guys have, come with me and and we'll have a look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Firstly, the, the gospel is treasure that transforms breaking bodies. Now, I wonder if you're uh, willing to show your hands, put your hand up, if you are getting older in here. Is anyone getting older? We've got some hands, we've got some deniers, but most of us know that we are getting older, aren't we? No, hands up if you're feeling the experience of that aging process, particularly, yes, yes and amen. I went for a run on Wednesday and I'm still feeling the burn in my legs. It is good to be alive, isn't it? Uh, we're all getting older. And if we're honest, we're on that steady decline towards death, aren't we? Is that too morbid? It's true, isn't it? We're all getting that little bit more closer to death. Uh, Paul says last week in chapter four, our outer selves are wasting away. Our bodies are breakable. And we know this, don't we? And here in chapter 5, Paul compares our experience of life now to living in tents. Have a look with me uh, in verse 1. For we know, says Paul, that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, I love to camp. We love family holidays when we go camping. But after about a week, in a tent, I'm ready for a proper bed and a little bit of personal space, right? So a, a lifetime in a tent, that's too much, isn't it? But Paul says that is our lot. Uh, this tent, he says, is our earthly home. It's our, our physical bodies that we live in now. And like tents, they're temporary, they're, they're flimsy, they leak sometimes, they can get blown over, and eventually, he says, they will be destroyed, And before that point, before we experience death, he says in in verse 2, our experience of life is is one of groaning. And again, in verse 4, we groan, we're burdened, we long for something better, something more permanent. And look, you don't have to be a Christian to know that Paul's onto something here, right? Uh, It is a universal human experience to know that our bodies are breakable. We all know what it means to hurt, to to bleed when we cut, to have a a throbbing headache, to feel nauseous, to be short of breath. And that's to say nothing uh, if we have a a serious illness that we live with or we live with chronic pain or a, a disability. We all know that we have breaking bodies. There is a booming industry that promises hope here, even a solution for these breaking bodies. I read one report this week suggesting that the wellness sector will be a $7 trillion industry by 2025. That is massive money. It's helping us create holistic, healthy lives on a a physical and an emotional, a mental, a spiritual level even. We're talking medical professions, uh, personal fitness regimes, dieting, productivity tools, sleep experts, wellness gurus with millions of followers on Instagram. Just this week in Melbourne, a new gym opened 
where mid-tier membership costs $1,000 a week. Anyone got that kind of money? Uh, well, to be fair, for your money, you will get yoga classes, a, a meditation cave. You will have a vitamin IV drip. You can get anti-aging, biohacking, cryo chambers, collagen, hot chocolate, and the best bit, shower water that is infused with vitamin C. Wow. Right? You're tempted? At least tempted. Uh, too bad. You can't get in. Membership is already sold out in just the first week. Now, we'll see in a moment that God cares for our well-being. It is good for us to want to be holistically well people, but, but this multi-trillion dollar industry is built on promises that it just can't deliver. And we need to see this so we don't invest all of our hope, never mind our money there. You see, it promises us control over our bodies. And the idea is that if, if we can control our bodies, well, then we can control anything that life throws at us. But that's not possible, is it? See, to control, uh, to have mastery over our bodies, well, that's kind of a, a gospel in and of itself. It's a good news story. It's a promise of, of a, a way to a better, more fulfilling life. You see, if we follow this fitness regime and this diet, not that one, but this one, and we sleep for the right amount of hours and we meditate in the right way, well, then maybe, just maybe, we can attain that sweet salvation of a perfectly balanced life. It's nirvana. But it just can't deliver on those promises because our bodies will always break down. They are wasting away. And no gym membership, no wellness routine can stem that tide. Death can be so random. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't dodge the fanciest gyms in town. It, it, it will come for all of us. We can't stop it. And note this, before we even get to death, access to these wellness programs is incredibly exclusive. Right? They cost money that most of us, many of us don't have. Uh, they may be wide open to us if we are mobile, but if we live with a disability, well, the doors are much harder to get through. And sometimes chronic pain can't just be meditated away. And it all takes so much time. Good luck being well, according to these measures, if you're juggling two jobs just to put food on the table or you're a single parent and you're juggling life and work and everything else that's coming your way with kids. This wellness gospel is treasure promised, but only possible for a precious few people. There's good in it, but it is not something we should invest all of our hope and expectations into, and it's not something that we should allow to, to load us up with guilt if we can't maintain those standards of perfection that we see online. But God offers something different. He holds out a gospel that is accessible for all of us. There's no cost barrier to us enjoying his treasure. And it's so refreshingly real. There's no filter. The, yes, says Paul, these are breakable bodies. These are tents. They're not meant to be permanent. They're flimsy. They will let us down, but God has a plan to deal with them. The contrast to the tent through 2 Corinthians 5 is a building. Look again with me at verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, 
a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Uh, Buildings beat tents any day of the week. They're permanent. They're great places to live. And here Paul is talking about our new creation bodies, the bodies that Christians hope we will inherit when we uh, experience that resurrection when Jesus returns, that similar to the body he was given after his resurrection. Uh, bodies that will not break down, bodies that will not decay and die, bodies that are tailor-made for paradise forever. So, says Paul, be of good courage. What is mortal will be swallowed up with life in verse 5. So the aging we all feel, the acute pain that some of us live with now, the frustration that our bodies don't work like they should work, that will be an experience that will pass. We will look back at this season of our life as a dim and distant memory when we enjoy the vast majority of our existence in those new creation bodies. It is a precious promise of future transformation that we can hold on to now and hope we only find in the gospel. So now, should we just kind of wait, twiddle our thumbs and, and wait for this to arrive? Uh, th- does it even matter what we do with our lives now in these bodies? Well, absolutely it does. Uh, look down with me at verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, so whether we are at home or away, that is whether we're in these mortal bodies or in that new creation body, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Our goal as the people of God is to organize our lives around pleasing him. It is to live like children seeking to to please our heavenly father. We're motivated by our love for him and his love for us and by this truth that, that we will be evaluated for what we do in the body. In ancient Corinth, there was a literal judgment seat. It was a a platform set high above the people. There was a flat rock on it. And on that rock, a judge would sit and try cases brought to him by citizens in the city. Uh, Paul himself was brought here in Acts 18 uh, before the judge threw it out uh, as a mob of angry Jews wanted him kicked out of the city. So they know what Paul is talking about here. They have a, a deep sense of this prospect of judgment. We're going to be evaluated by Jesus as our judge. And remember, he's talking to Christians here. All of us will go through this experience. We will stand before Jesus and we will walk back through our lives with him and he'll ask us some some searching questions. Why did you say that there, Ben? Why did you do that, Ben, in that moment? Why did you not speak up there? Why did you not step forward and, and take action? To be under the microscope like that, that, that's pretty uncomfortable. But it's life transforming. The commentator Gary Miller says, we need to live now in a way that takes into account the fact that our lives will be examined then. Just let that sink in for a moment. Uh, a Christian's salvation is not in doubt. That's not what's 
being discussed here that is secure by what Jesus has done on the cross. But there is a a subtle theme through the New Testament that, that hints at this reward in the new creation for worshipful, faithful living. Jesus alludes to it in Matthew 25. He he tells a story, a parable of the talents where three workers are given talents, uh, an amount of money, and the master tells them to invest it. He then goes on a a journey and expects a return on that investment when he comes back, and two of them do it well, and so uh, they are rewarded by the master. He gives them more because of their sound investment, but the one that does nothing, the one that digs a hole and leaves it in the garden, He's scolded. And Jesus says this to conclude, to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. It's there to serve as an incentive to us to live now, investing all we've got for the glory of God. So what are we doing with our lives, sitting on a hill? Are we living with our ears pinned back all for the glory of God. That is our chief end, someone wise once said. And that desire to to glorify him, it goes so beautifully with our mission as a movement of churches to know Jesus and make Jesus known because to glorify God is to demonstrate what is true about him, to show what he is really like. And it's something we can do with all aspects of our lives and all of us can participate in. So think about, think about this for our work. If, if we're going to work this week, we can use our jobs for his glory right down into the detail. So imagine you're a, a teacher. Well, when we, when we teach like Jesus would teach in that classroom with joy and enthusiasm and patience and grace, we glorify him because we show people what he is like. Or if we're a a plumber and we're fixing a a leaky tap or we're installing a a new hot water system, when we do it with care and attention like Jesus would, we glorify him because we show people what he's really like. Or if we're, we're leading a meeting and we listen well, we value everyone's contribution in the room, and then we follow through on the action items that come from it with integrity, well, well, we're leading like Jesus would lead. We're showing what he's like and we glorify him. That's something all of us can take into our weeks. Every moment of every day is an opportunity to glorify him by the way we do our jobs, the way we go about our lives. We point people to Jesus. See, firstly, we're seeing this gospel as treasure that transforms us transforms us with this hope of a a future body, unbreakable, untouched by the frustrations of these earthly bodies, and transforming us because it gives us this sharp purpose and, and urgency to live for the glory of Jesus. Gospel is treasure. Secondly, it's precious. It's treasure because it transforms ruptured relationships. So far through this letter to Corinthians, we've seen Paul's relationship kind of go up and down 
with the Corinthians, more down than up, to be honest. And he has his fierce critics in the city there slamming him for his writing and his teaching and even just his, his personality. And so Paul's regularly defending himself through this letter. And yet, despite all of this opposition, he still loves them. He's still pursuing a good relationship with them. Why? Because it's the love of Jesus that motivates him. Look with me at verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. You see, he's so convinced about Jesus's love for him and for them demonstrated by his death for them all. That is Paul's motivation for him loving and and pursuing the Corinthians despite the, the challenges he faces in those relationships. And I find this so challenging. Because to be honest, I think it's, it's just so much easier to let damaged relationships just kind of drift and die a, a natural death. Do you find that? Do you have any of those damaged relationships knocking about in your life that are just kind of dying a slow, cold death? Paul is a, a model for us to not give up on those relationships, but to pursue them. But the truth of the gospel compels us to seek transformation. When we know how much God has pursued us in Jesus, then it motivates us to pursue others. So so maybe this week is the week for you to send a text to that person that, that you have a drifting relationship with. Maybe this is the week to tee up a coffee with them and reignite that relationship, to model Paul in his pursuit of the Corinthians to value those relationships and and trust that they can be transformed by the gospel. Now, worth saying two things. Uh, Reconciliation in those relationships might happen before trust is rebuilt. Trust is broken quickly, but slow to be rebuilt. And so when when we've been hurt, uh, when we've been harmed by someone, we might be ready to forgive them. And to to reconcile that relationship, but trust will be rebuilt slowly. Back over time, it's okay. You don't have to rush it. Let that take time. Second thing we're saying, how often should we try and reconcile with someone if we've got that drifting relationship? Peter came to Jesus with the same question. He said to him, Lord, how, how often will my brothers sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven, seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, keep going, keep trying, keep your heart open so that that relationship can be reconciled when the person is ready to and keep praying that God by his spirit would would keep hearts soft on both sides of that divide. And know that when you are praying those prayers, you are praying perfectly in line with God's word, his will to reconcile relationships. He loves to bring reconciliation to ruptured relationships. Uh, But look for Paul to focus in the second half of this chapter. It's not so much on horizontal relationships, as important as they are. It's, It's more focused on vertical relationship, the one we have with God, the God who made us. And this, this relationship is utterly transformed by the gospel. Have a look at verse 18. 
All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of relationships that have experienced separation and conflict. I grew up in Northern Ireland. You might have picked that. I'm not from around here with my accent. Uh, Well, in Northern Ireland, there is a capital city called Belfast where walls, literal physical walls, run through ordinary streets, ordinary suburbs in the city to keep fighting factions apart. Typically, it's loyalist Protestants on one side and Republican Roman Catholics on the other. And and these walls, 15 meters tall, are, are built so that it's hard to throw petrol bombs or rocks or anything else really that you throw, you find lying around to cause harm to the other side. Ironically, they're called peace walls. Uh, they keep meant to keep people safe, but actually they keep people segregated. What hope is there for reconciliation if you'd have to get over one of those 15-meter tall walls to do it? That wall is a, a helpful way to see our default relationship with God. Uh, but with him, our dividing wall is not built with bricks and barbed wire. It's, it's built with sin. It's built with our desire to live completely independently from God, to reject his rule or, or involvement in our lives completely. It is to put something else or someone else in first place in our lives and to live for their glory instead of God's. We build that wall of sin brick by brick. And and at the end of our lives, we would stand before that judgment seat and we'd be hopeless because all we'd have is our own deeds to stand with and, and we wouldn't stand a chance. And so it would stay if it wasn't for Jesus. It's the gospel that is transformational here. Come with me to verse 21. For our sake. He made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The logic is this. Jesus lived a perfect life, no sin, none whatsoever, not even a, a whiff. And then he died a death, a sacrificial death on the cross that absorbed God's need for justice and judgment with our sin. He stood in our place on the cross. He was made, in other words, to be sin. And because he is God himself, his one perfect life was was enough to atone for all of our sin. He makes it possible for every human to be right before God, to stand righteous before that judge. But there's more because to leave it there would be kind of a bit distant and, and transactional. But no, God wants a relationship with us. The word here, reconciliation, is used five times in this chapter. That's to underscore how deeply God desires relationship with us. It's a relationship word. Couples seek reconciliation when they've, uh, their marriage is, is going south. Business partners seek reconciliation if they fall out. Nations seek it after they've had Uh, a war. God seeks it with humanity and it is all his initiative, right? We are described as his enemies. He is the one that, that makes the first move. He's the one who reaches over the wall to, to reconcile with us through Christ. 
He longs for a relationship with us. And so if there is distance between you and God, if you felt that relationship kind of drifting over the last weeks, months, years, maybe, know that he longs to be restored in his relationship with you. You need to hear Paul's plea. In verse 20, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's standing with his arms open, ready to embrace you when you come home to him. And if you've never known this relationship with God, well, this is new news for you today. Well, God has you here for a reason. We pray every week when we gather as a church that, that God will transform lives, that he will reconcile, even just with one person, he will reconcile with that person. Friend, we've been praying for you if you are here and you're not yet reconciled with God. No, life with God is not a promise of an easy life, but it will be good. Just this week, I started meeting with a young guy to read the Bible. He's grown up with Christian parents and he looks at them and he sees something different in them. They're, they're calm, they're patient, they're kind. And he wants that in his own life. He, he sees something different. He's seeing just a, some of the ways that, that Jesus is at work transforming his parents. And it is attractive. It's compelling when we see a life transformed by God's spirit living in us. It is a good life with God. Be reconciled with him. And if we are already reconciled with him, if we know we're in that relationship with him, is there anything here for us? Well, yes, absolutely there is. Because the gospel continues to transform our lives. Ordinary people like you and me, we are called to be reconcilers. We're called to point others to Jesus, to introduce them to him. We're, we're given in verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation, the, the message of reconciliation has been entrusted to us. And, and verse 20, check this out. Therefore, says Paul, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Every single Christian here, God has commissioned us for this responsibility of reconciling others to him. He's put us in a, a place to share this gospel treasure. And like an ambassador would go from Australia and represent Australian interests and values in other countries. Well, so God has placed us in a, a web of relationships, unique to every one of us, places where we can be sharing his good news, sharing this precious treasure. As we plant a church in Ballarat, we've got a map of the city and, and we're kind of sticking red dots on it for the places where we live and, and work and spend time and rub shoulders with people. And we're doing it to remind ourselves of this, that we are there as ambassadors for Jesus. Now, we've got a lot of work to do if we want to reach the city for Jesus. There's only about 20 dots on that map. But you guys, you're much further down the track in that. You'd have dots all over the Western suburbs, little clusters of dots in the places where God has put you. Wonderful opportunities for you to be ambassadors for Jesus going about your, your weeks this week. But also you've got this really exciting opportunity coming up as you take ownership of this building here. You, you form together like a, an embassy where you can 
together collectively point people to Jesus, to beam out like a city on a hill here on the Ballarat Road. What wonderful opportunity for you to share the, the precious gospel treasure that Jesus gives us in this community. Imagine what you could do as you gather here on Sundays, as you open doors through the week, as you host different activities here. Imagine the ways that God could use you uh, to be transformative in this community. So can I give you a challenge with this building in mind as you prepare for that? Here's the challenge. Be welcoming to strangers. Be welcoming as people come through the doors, make a, a beeline for them and help them feel welcomed in this place. It's, it's so easy and it's good when we come to church to hang out with our Christian brothers and sisters. Those are sweet relationships that we have and we should enjoy them. But when we're here, we have this opportunity to practice a, a welcome, a, a hospitality that, that people don't get in most spaces in their lives. We have an opportunity, all of us can play a part in this, to to introduce ourselves to someone, to, to make that first awkward move and, and start a conversation, to find out more about that person, to be interested in their life. And if you get that down on Sundays, well, then next level, invite them for a coffee or go for dinner with them after church, somewhere local. Ask them to share their story with you, share something of yours. And if you get that down, well, then invite them to your home and have them at your own table for a meal. Welcome strangers because that's not something people get in most areas of their lives. And as we welcome people from this community into this space, we are pointing them to Jesus. We are compelled by the love he has for them to look outwards with the gospel, to be generous with what he has given us, to be ambassadors for him and not just scattered, isolated through the week in different places, but together as an embassy, for him, for his glory. What a wonderful opportunity we've got. Don't miss it. Be welcoming of strangers. I love this chapter of 2 Corinthians. It's so precious seeing this gospel treasure, seeing the way it transforms ordinary people like us. It transforms us with this hope of a body that will not break and it transforms us with purpose for life in these bodies now and it transforms us in restoring our ruptured relationship with God and using us to be ambassadors of that good news for other people. What a, a privilege to be, isn't it? I'm gonna pray for us before we sing praise to, to Jesus, the one who makes all of this possible, the giver of this gospel treasure. I'm gonna pray for us, for you as a church, that you would embrace uh, this transformation that Paul is talking about here. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for this precious letter from Paul to the Corinthians. Lord, thank you for this chapter. Lord, I pray that you would speak words of encouragement to us, especially if we're, we're feeling our bodies breaking today. Lord, fill us with this gospel hope for transformation. Lord, I pray that you would motivate us to live for your glory with our whole lives. Lord, will you use us every moment of every day to think, how can we glorify? How can we show people what you're like? Lord, I pray that you would move us to reconcile with people where, where we have broken relationships. Keep our hearts soft by your spirit, we pray. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to reconcile more of us to yourself.
King Jesus. Bring us back if we've wandered from you. Lord, embrace us for the first time if we've never known a relationship with you. You long to be reconciled with us. You long to be in a restored relationship, Lord. I pray, Father, you'd use this church to be an embassy, drawing people to you, Lord, pointing people to the treasure that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this for the glory of your name, Lord, and for our good. It's in your strong name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.